Welcome back to the Discovering Commercial Real Estate Podcast. We have principal of Atlas Realty Group, Eric Yankilovich, here with us today. Eric, it's a pleasure having you on. Thank you so much for doing this again. Sure, my pleasure. Thank you for having me on. Before we get into business, let's get a little sense of your background. So where are you from and how did you get into commercial real estate? Sure. So um, originally born in the uh, former Soviet Union, now known as Ukraine, right. for the time being anyway. Um, uh, we immigrated to the States in 1990. I was about 10 years old at the time. Um, moved to South Brooklyn, where a lot of my friends and you know my, my relatives were, frankly. They brought us in and stuck around. Stuck around ever since then. Went to high school in Bensonhurst. Uh, went to college in Stony Brook. It was like the perfect spot to be, you know, right. close enough, but 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 not home. And after college, straight into real estate, funny enough. Amazing. And uh, we talked before about how um, what you would be doing before commercial, like if not commercial real estate. Right. So what do you think that would be? It's hard to answer the question based on how much I love this work. Yeah. I can just tell you that I started with, a, uh, uh, I guess, pre-med, like most other yeah. kids, I think my age back in the mid 90s, um, transitioned into computer science. Finished with a computer science degree. At that point, they were chasing people. I remember giving them offers before they even finished school. So, right. and I kind of liked the logic. I think aspect of things. I think I, I like to consider myself a very logical guy. You know, somewhat numbers, but more just you know, if then type of uh, idea. And um, ultimately, my wife at the time, my girlfriend, uh, said, "I think you should try real estate. I feel like it fits your personality." Mm. And I got into that. So I, I just can't. I mean, I definitely would be doing something. I think that's somewhat sales related. Mm. Clearly, something that's independent. Where I, I, you know, having worked through college, uh, in you know, uh, salary jobs, right. I do not see myself being able to do that. But uh, it would definitely be something entrepreneurial. I would, I'd like to think. So you like the unlimited uh, upside aspect of it. I like the unlimited upside. I think it's hard for me to motivate myself, not you know, or knowing that I have a certain limit of how much right. money I can make or how much success I can have, or just you know, finish your job and you're done. It just doesn't seem to drive me mentally. Got it. Um, and in this business, you're always pushing, you're always chasing. And, uh, you know, I, I just enjoy that. I think in any, any anything entrepreneurial, you have that um, that ability to kind of work on those uh, skill sets and then and, and go and succeed, you know, and you eat what you kill, so to speak. So I, I want to be out there hunting for something. I don't want to just 100%. say, okay, here's your job, check off and you're done. It just doesn't seem... I don't know, it just doesn't seem exciting to right, me. Right, 100%. So you started, you started doing this um, at GFI. Um, and so walk us through your experience at GFI and how that kind of prepared you to be a principal. Sure, I was very blessed uh, to start at GFI. I worked under some of the biggest names in the industry, uh, people who have just crushed it in this field. Um, I actually came in with a little bit of experience because I started in a small office in Brooklyn, right. in South Brooklyn. You know, right away gravitated towards commercial. Uh, it was a residential office, but some somehow I ended up doing their commercial leasing up and down, like the you know uh, commercial thoroughfares in, in in Brooklyn. Try to do sales, uh, investment sales, mm -hmm. but it was just a different level. And I remember coming in for an interview um, at one point to be an assistant to the head broker, uh, Aaron Youngrace, who's you know truly uh, a very skilled person. Yeah. Legend. who really works really hard and it, it was a blessing for me to kind of be exposed to that maybe at the time I didn't really realize to what degree mm -hmm. and how much I was able to uh, absorb you know it's like osmosis just being there right. you know just, just helps you out so uh, from that I was able to transition within two years into brokerage and then eventually uh, after a certain long period right. of time you know open up my own shop with uh, with, with guys amazing. I met in GFI amazing and who was like kind of who were your first mentors that kind of guide, guide you through, guided you through the process um 
so first and foremost, I learned everything in, in, in this residential office from a guy who gave me a lot of time, explained to me all the basics. When I came into uh, GFI, I was able to kind of just see a different uh, level, different league mm. of, of that game. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, people there from the head brokers to uh, from the head broker there at the time to some other senior guys who really put the time and really seemed to kind of care and give me. Uh, certain you know knowledge because you know they wanted I guess to see young kid you know do well right yeah of course and do do you um, do you think that this experience in residential kind of gave you a a different perspective where you were able to build a foundation and eventually transition into multifamily commercial assets no question about it I mean I came in with certain basic knowledge of investment sales right um, you know also realized one thing I do not want to be selling homes or, or you know apartments co-ops condos right I found that to be more of an emotional yeah. uh, connection for buyers and sellers which I, I didn't really relate to I like mm -hmm. the business side of the of the you know mentality right and, uh, and then ultimately being exposed to guys who are you know focused strictly on investment sales um, it just allowed me to really you know, get to love the business. I mean, mm -hmm. it was something that I just enjoyed. It's something that I enjoyed reading about. I, you know, I was just looking forward to absorbing as much as I can and ultimately, obviously, making money. I mean, that's what right. we're all there for. But I, I, you have to love the business, in which I, I clearly naturally gravitated right. to. So thanks to my wife, who called it pretty early yeah. in, uh, in, our, in our lives, it was definitely the right fit for me. 100%. And what would you say is the difference in skill sets between a successful residential broker and a commercial broker? Um, so I, I think that game has changed significantly since I started in the business over mm -hmm. 22 years ago. It seems today that it is a lot more uh, marketing based when it, you know, as mm -hmm. far as social media goes, getting your name out there and coming up with, uh, you know, exciting content. It, I don't know if it's as much brokerage as it is just marketing. Right. Uh, which is which is great. I mean, it's awesome. I, I you know I follow a lot of people that are in that you know obviously there's a bunch of shows that yeah. I'm sure we all know about, and that gives us ideas, also kind of inspires us as well to do certain things. Um, but ultimately, the commercial side of the business is just business. Yeah, it's 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 more private. Also, people don't necessarily want to know their their they want to have their stuff out there. Mm -hmm. It's relationship driven. Um, it's you know how you deal with people on a whole different level than it is about. Um, you know, trying to convince them to buy a place where they're most likely of to course. live for a long time. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. And uh, what prompted you to make your decision to leave uh, GFI and and kind of go off on your own? And how long did you plan it before you pulled the trigger? <laughs> sure. So I think for me, you know, I was in GFI for over 16 years before we, I, I made the change. And frankly, there was there was a period for a while before there where I was already kind of looking for the next stage of mm -hmm. my life, of my career. You know, you reach a certain plateau where you maybe are not as challenged anymore. And, you know, things happen that you, you just kind of feel like it's time for a change. It's right. time for, for, for something new. And I had a hard time finding the right transition. Mm -hmm. I didn't want to make a lateral move just to say, okay, I changed things up. Uh, and that took time. And that took time. And, you know, I think luckily where my two partners, uh, Yosef Katz and Shlomo Entebi, who were with me in GFI for also a long time, about 13 years each, mm -hmm. you know, we got to know each other pretty well over the years and the market was getting rough. And we always knew, I mean, you know, our, our, our mentors always told us this is the time to build. This is the time to, um, you know, invest in yourselves. In fact, I remember during those last few months when we were giving these lectures, um, you know, it's exactly what was said to us. Like, this is the time. And I'm like, we're looking at each other. This is exactly the right. time. And we finally decided, okay, it's time to make a move. And 
Um, three of us met, agreed that you know this is this is a good opportunity to start something where the market is maybe a little slow, mm-hmm. and go from there and build. Great, amazing. And so, what is Atlas Realty Group? Can you give us a little breakdown of what gap is filled in the market by this company, and uh, what's your long-term vision for this? So. Uh, ARG, as we like to call it for short, I don't think anybody has the patience to pronounce the entire name in full. I know I don't sometimes. Um, It's really kind of that middle market um, investment sales brokerage. We focus on like the, I would say, two to $50 million deals. Our average deal is probably around a $10 million deal. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, anything from um, uh, packages to single buildings. Our bread and butter has historically and still continues to be multifamily, which in New York City means rent stabilized apartment buildings. That's something we know very well. We know the product well. We know the players well. They know us. We have um, we have good relationships there. We have a very unique reach, I think, as well. You know, there's clearly a lot of other shops that are doing the same thing. Um, you know, but we'd like to pride ourselves on having a little bit of a different reach and mm. you know, really knowing the product well in our sub markets and in, in, in primarily in the five boroughs, I would say. Staten Island being the least, just not a lot of trades right. happen there in that in that space, unfortunately. Although there's there's interest, right. um, and we think it's one of the safest uh, investment vehicles you can have. And we continue to see renew. We we continue to see interest. We see interest right. from buyers who haven't haven't been active for years, who are now jumping back in. So we think the future is is, is very strong in that um, in that business. If you understand the business and you have the right shop set up, right. um, we've seen a lot of guys do very well over the years and we expect it to continue that way. Got it. And when it comes to understanding the multifamily rent-stabilized business, how much of it comes down to understanding people and how much of it comes down to understanding the asset? Would you say Would you say it's an even mix between these two things? Um, I think it is important to 100% understand both sides of it. I think that the players who are in this game, specifically when it comes to rent-stabilized apartment right. buildings, they know the business very well. Um, you know, one of the things that I, I find myself sometimes walking buildings with other brokers, maybe younger brokers, and, I, you know, for me, I, I, I can never convince anybody to do anything as far as I'm concerned. They know what they're doing. Right. I'm not there to tell them or to pitch them or to sell them, oh, look how great this or that idea is. I'm just there to make sure that I, I deliver a deal, I have access to the right product, and I steer it to closing. That's mm. my job. Um, so ultimately, you have to understand what your client wants so you're not wasting you know their time with deals that are not going to be up their alley or you know price expectations that are not real. Uh, but at the same point in time, you you know you have to be realistic about what the sellers should be expecting, right. and 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 you know that side of the business as well. So um, I think that gives everybody the best chance of success. You know, understanding everybody's ultimate goal uh, puts everybody in the best chance to have successful transaction. One hundred percent. And what mistakes do you see other investment sales brokers making that you think may be holding them back in their career? Um, I think you have to be, you have to have long-term kind of vision. Mm. You have to want to do this, I think, long-term. Right. You have to have this as your career. If you're just in it for the quick, you know, uh, quick buck, buck yeah. you know, and you're just trying to max out what you can make and you're moving into the next thing, it's a lot more difficult, I think, to see success. You know, reputation is obviously very, very important. You know, I've had misunderstandings with some of my best clients where I can sincerely see that we just misunderstood each other. We should have maybe put things in writing so that it's very clearly spelled out because, you know, people, you know, can hear different things walking out of the same uh, lecture and have an argument about what they just heard, you know. Um, And ultimately, it's important to focus on that. If you're looking to do this long term, you have to stick to your principles Mm. and do what's right, not what's good for you in the short term. Got it. 100%. 
And um, I want to ask about um, owners' mindset. So what are some creative ways that owners can add value to their buildings? Well, so it depends what asset class we're talking about. If you're talking about rent stabilized, yeah. um, very few things can be done today to add value. Uh, it's very difficult to increase uh, income. Right. Expenses seem to be going up. You know, people have found ways of, of adding some value by doing certain renovations or combining units, which, you know, may go away at some right. point. Um, people find ways of renting out uh, space that's not residential and adding value that way. Right. Uh, sometimes you can build if you have air rights, you know, to add value that way, which is not an easy and certainly in uh, New York City with DOB and regulations and everything, it's a very difficult process. Um, you know, other asset classes, again, it depends. I think you have to be very mindful of where the market is. You have to be mindful of what kind of leases you're signing, who right. your leases are with, how long those leases are, and what the options are, especially with today's inflation. I think you have to be right. very mindful of, you know, what happens when my leases roll. Um, so savvy investors, you know, keep their eye on, on, on their pulse on, on, on the market and kind of adjust as, as they go. Right, 100%. And as an investment sales broker, what do you kind of go in and um, give them value-wise where... You know, you, you do something you do something beyond the job. So, I mean, look, we all love taking on listings. Uh, and there are certainly times where, you know, it comes to a certain deal where you, you sometimes have to kind of take a step back and say, look, I don't think you're ready to sell. Right. I think whether you have a, a certain violation count or you have certain issues in the building, you know, fix it, clean it up, um, or you have certain leases that are going to be rolling. You know, people love to put projections. Well, look, my lease is going to expire yeah. within around the same time you're going to close on the building. Well, it's not the same thing. Like nobody wants to pay you for that upside. Right. They want to buy it and all the upside is there. So if you think that the market or the price is not right yet, wait. You know, I think it's important as brokers not to just be so ang uh, hungry rather right. that you want to jump on every deal that comes across your way. Sometimes you have to take a step back. The best thing for your client is let's wait a month, two, three months. Let's come mm -hmm. back to the market. Maybe the environment is not right because of, you know, other factors such as interest rates. So uh, I think it's, it's it's just important to sometimes take a step back before you start pushing, saying, okay, let's go. Let's, I'm ready to sell it. Yeah, definitely. And and what does your ideal client look like? I mean, somebody who's just realistic with mm -hmm. their expectations. You know, somebody who knows the market well enough. Um, somebody who trusts us when mm -hmm. we advise them. I'm sure there's, you know, people out there who think, oh, a broker just wants to do a deal and, you know, make his commission right. and move on. And frankly, that's when, you know, I think as a seller, we, we, we advise our clients sign an exclusive with a broker. I mean, obviously, we'd love it to be us and we right. think we do as good of a job as anybody, if not better. But have somebody who works for you for your interest. Don't just right. have a deal that's out there with a bunch of different guys trying to shove it off down your throat because yeah. they only care about is their commission. They don't really care about getting you the best price. Yeah. So you think exclusivity is like the truest alignment of interest between a broker and uh, owner? A hundred percent. Not only does it uh, guarantee the seller the best results, right. because of the fact that you know they're in the interest. Buyers are now looking at it a little bit more seriously because right. they're like, okay, this this owner hired a broker. They it's clearly want to go to market. They want to sell it. They're not just saying, you know, let me see if there's a fool out there who's going to overpay. Right. It just gives people, and you know, when there's deals out there and, and guys have deals across their desk. They don't want to spend time on deals that are just not realistic. And, you know, now all of a sudden they got this setup from two, three other guys. Yeah. Who has control? Who doesn't have control? They're going to probably push it to the back of their pile. Definitely. And how do you how do you work out how real a buyer or seller is? Is there a question that you like to ask to get a sense of who you're dealing with? Um, you know, it's really tough to answer that uh, or to know that information. Yes, we ask certain questions. Right. I think when it comes to a seller, as I just mentioned, he has to be realistic. If a seller gives me a property to sell and comes to me and says, what do I think it's worth? And I give him an indication. Yeah. And he's like, there's no way I'm selling for that price. I'm, I'm going to tell him, look, there's a certain, you know, maybe give where I can. Yeah. 
go to market, but you're going to hurt yourself. And then there's a certain point where I'm just not going to take the listing on because if you're not selling for whatever the best price the market will bring, you know, within reason, obviously, then you're just not a seller. And these are not the days where, you know, I used to be able to call people and tell them, right. hey, I think I get you this much. And they, really, if you could get me that, I'm out. There's many guys today who are saying that be happy to be out at a certain right. level, but it's just not realistic anymore. And for a buyer, a lot of people have to show you their proof of funds or, or give you an indication of what they own. And I've seen people sit in a lot of equity. It doesn't mean they're buying either. Got you it. know, it really does not mean they're buying. You know, you want to kind of understand what their motivations are for buying. You want to understand do they have the right team in place mm. to manage a property. You know, um, if the guy is just kind of kicking tires just because he wants to understand the market and buy in, you know, a year from now or right. whatever, we usually can feel that and we try not to waste the time with those guys. But also it's part of building certain relationships. Right. Sometimes you know you have to go through those motions with certain uh, uh, owners just to get to know them. And then eventually you hope that they will transact. 100%. And is it true that if uh, if an asset is priced right from the start, the seller will get the highest return on their time and sell the asset more efficiently? 100%. Because what ends up happening is that if you come out to market with an overpriced listing, it just gets pushed to the back. Yeah. Now, what ends up happening is that First of all, people start lowballing you. Second of all, it'll come back if and when the price comes down, which it will have to. It's now a stale listing. So you know, if you price it right, there's that fine line where we've, you know, we've, we, you know, you could create certain certain situations where you may have some uh, bidding wars as well. Right. It's rare that it happens. I think in today's day and age, but when it's priced right and they see that this guy is serious, he wants to make a deal. Now, before you know it, you do have two or three or four yeah. real guys making real offers close to the ask or at ask. Now you're putting yourself in the best situation right. as a seller to, you know, capitalize. And how do you present to the seller what the price is based off of? Um, is it based off market market comparables, other deals that are happening uh, in contract or whatever it is? Right. So, again, because we're, you know, active, uh, our ears very low to the ground. Right. We know everything that goes on for the most part. Uh, even if it's not our transactions, right. we know about those transactions. And that information, right, gets passed on to our clients. Um and there are different factors that will make a difference what the property, you know, how to value a property. But ultimately, you have to look at every property individually right. and you have to guide them accordingly. You have to explain to them why we think this is the right price today. We give them all the metrics of, you know, uh, which which are relevant, which are not relevant for a specific deal. Ultimately, it's obviously their decision. Uh, but we think we come with enough intelligence for them to really trust in what we're saying and, and making the best decision they can. Got it. 100%. And um, how do you remain like top of mind with buyers and sellers without being pushy? <laughs> it's, um, it's, a, it, it's an interesting question because sometimes I wonder, you know, and I think it's also de depending on your personal uh, personality. Right. And I think that's when some of the skills that you almost, some of them you learn, um, is nothing like experience, mm. nothing like gray hair, as much as you could be very, very knowledgeable about what's happening, as much as you can have intelligence and, be good with numbers. There's certain things that you just, you know, pick up through the years. Um, but ultimately, um, it's just important to kind of stay, be honest with yourself. Mm. And, um, you know, there's ways of pushing people, but not making them feel like you're choking them. Right. Um, and I think as long as you come with sincere information, not just, again, for your own, you know, selfish reasons, right. just to close a deal. I think it comes across. I think people feel it. They can, they can sense, is this guy full of it? Is he just mm. pushing me? Or does it make sense? And again, a lot of these guys, I'm sure they talk to a lot of you know other people in the industry. They have their knowledge. Right. And when your knowledge aligns with everything else they are thinking is when you, you're probably going to end up and striking. And they start to trust you. Yeah, making, making a deal. 
And um, what early career mistake did you make that you will never make again and you encourage other people to never make? Um, I think I've really been blessed in the way that I haven't done anything crazy um, that I can look back and really, really regret. I think I just, I've learned, and as I said, with experience, it just comes, you know, with those years of experience, just comes to you a little bit more, becomes mm. a little bit more clear of, first of all, not, you know, knowing not how to waste your time right. and having that, you know, that hope of, okay, I'm going to get this done and yeah. hoping it's going to happen versus being realistic and knowing where to cut your losses, so to speak, and say, okay, look, you're not serious. Whether you're a buyer or seller, it's a waste of everybody's time right. because, you know, we, try to please people. And sometimes I think we are maybe trying too hard to please people um, where it's just not realistic. You end up wasting your time and everybody else's time. Um, and ultimately, you have to learn that don't make the decision just for that moment. As I said, right. when you're just trying to make that one commission, you know, not no, no one commission is worth your career. Right. It's not going to change your life. So your reputation ultimately can really change over one deal, but mm. your life will not. So as long as, as long as you keep that in mind and you do want to do this long term, bear that in mind and do what's, you know, what's, what's right for you and for everybody else, uh, ultimately will pay off. Right. So you think as an investment sales broker, it's important to zoom out and kind of look at uh, things decades down the line, you know, multiple decades down the line instead of, you know, four or five days down the line. hundred percent. I mean, I think it's, again, if you're just trying to make that quick deal and push a guy to do something right. he's not going to want to do, um, or you're doing it in a way where it's maybe not a hundred percent transparent. Right. It's gonna come back. It's gonna come back to bite you, and it's just not worth it. You know, there's enough out there where yeah. you, you know you got to do things the right way and stay the course. And ultimately, if you do, if this is what you want to do for a living long term, you stay the course. It, you know, you shouldn't worry about having to do things that are is, you're gonna make you feel uneasy inside. Right. Yeah, definitely. And what do you look for in a new hire? You know, that's a, that's a tough one because I've seen a lot of faces come and go through the years. You know, I'm doing this a long time you know, before we had our own shop. Um, I, now that we have our own shop also, you know, we've had guys come and go. Um, it's hard to really judge. You know, mm -hmm. it, it, it's a situation where sometimes you meet a guy and you're like, okay, this guy's definitely going to make it or this guy definitely will not. Yeah. I've seen both ends of the spectrum. I've seen guys who didn't make it for the first maybe two years. And then eventually they started making, you know, deals and becoming pretty good right. brokers. And I've seen guys where they were very good on the phone and they just... They just can't seem to, you know, uh, knock anything out of the park. Right. Um, you know, you do want to see grit. You want to see somebody who has very thick skin, uh, somebody who's prepared to, you know, hear no, get hung up on all the time and get, keep going. You have to stay motivated. Right. And you can, you're the only one who can motivate yeah. yourself because energy can be on up and down in an office. It can be, you know, life is up and down. If you can't motivate yourself and you can't, and you don't love what you do, you don't like live, breathe, and eat real estate. I don't know if you could be as successful. Right. And also, maybe that's not what you should be doing because you have to really want to do it. You have to want to get up in the morning and you know go hunting like yeah. this every every day. You know, yeah, hundred percent. And what does the training process at ARG look like, where you train somebody to think like this and be like this? So I think one of the best things about ARG that we provide is that you have the benefit of having all three of us mm. between uh, uh, you know Shlomo, Yosef, and myself we're always accessible mm. um we're always there providing feedback Great. and in addition to that we're also giving you a, a senior broker who's going to be working with you mm. so in essence you all end up getting four people who are kind of mentoring you 
um, you know, and we will go through uh, specifics individually. We'll, we'll we have weekly meetings. We will have uh, sometimes monthly classes. Mm -hmm. Again, if it's a new hire, obviously that's a lot a lot more frequent where we're setting you up right, right. away to make sure we give you the right skills. Uh, we're also providing pretty much everything that you need to to have as far as technology goes. You don't pay for anything. You come, right. you work, and that's it. You don't pay for a dollar for anything that uh, you know many other I think shops uh, make people pay for. Um, and also, we have the benefit of being in another, you know, uh, similar environment for many, many years. Right. We've seen it done a lot of different ways. We've learned, we've tasted every side of that. Mm -hmm. You know, being a junior or, or a new, a new, a new broker, and maybe sometimes feeling like things shouldn't be the way they are. So we would like to think we have the benefit of kind of knowing what it tastes like when things right. are not exactly done properly. And you've learned from that, and you try to pass on now a completely different you know, way of approaching the new guys right. so that they feel more empowered and, you know, can be successful and can want to stick around for right. a long time. So you harness um, you and your two other principals, all of your experience into kind of um, a well-defined system that you can apply to new hires. A hundred percent. I mean, the three of us are just as accessible as, you know, each one individually. Right. And ultimately, we're all very different. Uh, I, I think one of the best things about us is that, you know, we bring such different skill sets to the mm. uh, to the industry, you know, to our uh, office that you learn a lot from each one of us. I mean, we are very different people. Mm -hmm. Our style is different. Our approach is different. But our results are very similar. Um, you know, thank God we've done a lot of business over the you know last 20 some years. And, it, you know, you can see our results speak for themselves. But yet we kind of give you so many different aspects of it right. versus going to a, an office where maybe you have just one um you know one broker who's uh, overseeing you or they're hiring a uh you know a trainer who's right. not even in the business but yeah. he just knows the lingo he knows how to give you the right you know uh, a list of ways to make phone calls yeah it's not the same as somebody who breathes this business you know for a long time 100 percent. and would you would you say you compliment um you and your principals you compliment each other's strengths and weaknesses and kind of fill each other's gaps and that, that's what makes a good team. Yeah, for sure. I mean, we definitely, we always, I think, uh, uh, want to hear the other's opinion right. when we are working on something or there's a question mark. And even though each one of us is very capable on our own, you know, when things get, you know, kind of, you kind of want to just, uh, you have this process that you want to go through, uh, you know, like quality control almost, right. where you can kind of just, hey, what do you think? I'm thinking this is what I'm going to do. Yeah. And he may give you a little different spin to it or a different, like, intricate detail. They're like, oh, okay, that makes sense. And yeah. now you kind of, apply your style your approach with, perspective. with his yeah. perspective with his insight with his idea and i think it works beautifully i think it gives us really an advantage of a lot of other uh, you know shops definitely definitely and what are some ways that a commercial broker can set themselves apart um, what do you think is an underutilized tool that many people often dismiss <sighs> i mean again i think it comes down to a lot of it is is is, is personality mm. uh, i think it's important to be uh, compassionate to have empathy for people uh, on both sides of the deal right um it's hard to learn that you know sometimes sometimes it's just something that's you know not natural for people right. um but also you have to know your, your business you have to know you have to read you have to understand the deals you have to understand why this makes sense why that doesn't you have to understand right. why people are paying certain numbers and why they don't you know and if you're constantly on top of your game by reading by following the transactions um and you're putting your you know those interests together with uh meaning your skills with the right. interests of your clients 
you know, I, I think you'll succeed. I mean, there's not one thing that you can say is under I think maybe it's that compassion. I think sometimes right. people, it's just business. Yeah. But it's not just business because, you know, if you don't treat people the right way, right. you know, they may not come back to you. They eventually may focus on the next broker who's, you know, hounding them just probably as much as you. Definitely, yeah. And would you say in, in, the, in this business specifically, it's important because in, for example, a business like where somebody's trading stocks, it's a completely different thing. Um, where it's more process based, but in this business you have to it's more people based right. and you have to be compassionate. Yeah, hundred percent. It's a people business. I mean, this is a relationship driven right. business. Uh, no doubt about it. I mean, and frankly, I think a lot of people don't realize this as as, as young brokers who are trying to get into the business. Right. In commercial sales, you do not need to have a lot of clients to be successful right. and make a lot of money. You know, and 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 really stay busy. I mean, you really need a handful of of strong, of, of, yeah, of repeat. You know, yeah, strong relationships, repeat business from the same few guys that you've you know developed good you right. know understanding of. They trust you now, and you you'll be fine. You know, you'll do some side business as well. You you always have to. You know, we'll always call calling. Right. I mean, it doesn't end. It yeah. never ends. Um, sometimes you don't, you know, frankly, I feel like I didn't do it enough because right. I'm busy with everything else I have going on where I'm not, you know, but you have to focus on building that next book of business as well. hundred percent. Right. So you're always building that book of business always, no matter what. Always, no matter what. This never ends. Right. There's always new players coming in. There's old timers coming in who haven't done this in right. a while as well. And that's it, the beauty of it. Yeah. And that, that keeps it also fresh, you right. know, no question about it. And also you planting that seed, you don't know when that fruit is going to come, right. you know, you're going to bear that fruit. I mean, it could, it could be years. I mean, right. some of my best clients I think took me. I want to say seven, eight years to do my first deal, right? You know. And did you have the intention of closing the deal, or is it was it something that kind of just naturally progressed into a business relationship? I mean, I tried closing deals right away with the guys. You know, you you always kind of trying to do something with certain somebody. Right. Sometimes you get lucky and you do. Uh, you know, as new brokers, you know, we've seen some guys come in, by the way, and, and hit it big in the first few months. Right. You don't hear from them ever again <laughs> because they just made like a $30 million deal out. in the first, you know, three, four months of their business. Right. They think, oh, I'm, you know, <laughs> God's uh, gift to right. this industry. And then they kind of lose focus, maybe. I don't know. And they just, they don't, they're not successful anymore. Uh, but yeah, some guys you just have to know. Hey, look, it's okay. I'm gonna I'm gonna work this relationship and understand what he wants. If it's not this one, it's gonna be down the road. And just right. don't give up. Do not ever give up. And always follow up. Always constantly follow up. You know, same guy, same deal. Few months difference. He's in a different situation. He's thinking differently. He all of a sudden has a reason to do whatever he th maybe before he right. didn't want to do. You just have to stay on top. Catch them at the right time. Yeah, right. right. It's timing is is key. Timing right. kills deals, and timing also makes, makes deals happen. Sense. It's yeah. it's just that's. It's the way it is. 100%. And what what value can a young professional provide for you um, to make you more inclined to either help them or hire them or whatever it is? I think you just want to see, you know, somebody that's committed and is working. You know, you want to see guys who are putting in the time, right. making the calls, guys who are trying. You know, it, it's okay if you're not closing deals. Right. As long as you're really trying, as long as you're putting your best effort forward, you know, stay positive in the long haul. If this is what you want to do and you believe, right. uh, you know, you have to believe you're going to be successful. There's no question about it. You can't come in with a negative attitude, yeah. even if you're kind of putting in the work. If your mentality is negative, it just probably will not translate to great results. So when we see that, you know, we're definitely there for people. You know, we're, we're, you know, when a guy is not in the office and all of a sudden he's hunting you for an appointment, I mean, like, you know, why aren't you in the office a little yeah, bit more often yeah. maybe? You know what I mean? Just sometimes you have to be man mindful of that as a young broker that, hey, you know, put in the time and people will reciprocate at the end of the day. Definitely. And and what does your uh, typical day as an investment sales broker look like? Can you kind of walk us through morning to night? So, you know, again, days do uh, vary somewhat. Right. But, you know, I guess one of the keys for me is 
always try to get my appointments first thing in the morning. Uh, you know, while it's nice and sunny outside, it's early, also gives you the whole day, right. you know, to do whatever else you need to do, whether it's in the office uh, or to go to other meetings, but try to get your meetings first thing in the morning. Right. And then you're in the office. And again, you got to structure your days the, the way, you know, that, that works for you, whether you're working on certain deals or whether you're co-calling or chasing certain deals or doing homework, uh, research, right. you know, just to st stay on the game. You won't probably want to do that after hours when you can't really get people on the phone yeah. as easily. Um, you know, so there are certain kind of b very basic, broad ideas that I think are important to bear in mind. And it's really not that difficult to figure it out. 100%. And would you say a successful broker kind of doesn't stick to that nine to five? They kind of just work 24-7 or always thinking about what's the next step for their career? Yeah, I mean, I think there's no question this business consumes you a little bit. Right. Um, I don't know. Maybe maybe you kind of it has to for you to be successful. Right. I'm not sure. Um, but it's always on my mind and it's hard. It's, it, it is a challenge sometimes where you do, I think, need to disconnect yourself and, yeah. you know, put the phone away. I mean, that's addictive to begin with, yeah. you know, quite frankly, especially when now it's your life, it's your business, yeah. you know, it's, it's, it's how you make money. Um, but, uh, you have to really live this business. Right. I mean, it, I, I don't, I don't know if you could be very successful if you don't live this, if you're not driving down the block and you're looking at buildings, yeah. you're memorizing the facade, how many floors or what's happening around the corner is a new tenant coming in is a construction. I mean, these things just, they have to naturally you right. know, kind of want to interest you. Yeah. And then ultimately translates when you're on the phone with people, when you're doing transactions and you can, you know, mention certain details that like. You know, I mean, it's easier today because you could just Google and look it up. Right, but yeah. uh, when you remember it off, you know, if you had, off the, you know, your it's memory, uh, yeah. it just, I think it just, it comes across, you know. Definitely. And how do you make money in a, in a down investment sales market, in a bad market? Right. So, I mean, that's, uh, you, you look, we're just middlemen at the end yeah. of the day, right? And people do need trans to transact. I mean, you know, a lot of guys who are just deal junkies right. and they just want to keep transacting. Um, obviously when volume is down, which frankly is now because of a lot of different intricate yeah. details, um, it's a little bit more difficult. Uh, but with years as you build those relationships, you know, the down markets, you can still, you can still transact. You can still, you know, as long as you know, you know, your uh, product well, right. and people, as I said earlier, are realistic about their expectations, this business to be had. Right. And how do you position yourself to be the kind of broker that does have the volume in low volume situations in low volume market situations so i think that comes with again as i said earlier staying on top of people following uh -huh. up constantly mm -hmm. um and you know not assuming things you know when the guy tells you he's not interested or the price is high or he's not buying call call follow up check right. in there's nothing wrong it's your job to be annoying in right. a way <laughs> obviously doing a professional way yeah, yeah. but it's it's part of the job is just to stay on top of people um you know, ultimately, I think, again, cold calling and just mm. trying to pick up new clients, you know, staying on top of who's transacting um, and calling guys you haven't called before, guys mm. you maybe couldn't get through before. Just keep calling, keep, you know, hunting them. If you have to show up at their office randomly, just say, hey, I'm in a neighborhood, just, you know, even though you're not, but right, you yeah. run over yeah. there. If he tells you, yeah, sure, come in, you go, you meet people. I think meeting people is also very important, especially today where everything seems to be digital. Everybody's just, right. let me text, let me email. It's not the same. I mean, phone calls, uh, in person, in person meetings. First of all, this body language you can yep. pick up. Um, you can read people even though they're saying some one thing, yep. but they're really trying to tell you something else. They just don't want to say it. 
you could sense it. You right. know, again, with experience, you kind of learn that a little bit more. You kind of pick up on those, uh, 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 you know, th those things a little bit more right. to understand what, what what's really going on. But you'll only learn if you're on the phone or you're in person. You will not learn. You will not pick things up if it's Over just text, a message. Yeah, yeah. hundred percent. And what are what are some of your ways to gauge whether we're in a down market? Are there any specific property types or submarkets that you kind of look at as benchmarks? Um, I mean, for us, it really comes down to volume, and we mm. could see okay. we could see when guys are just simply on the sidelines, right. and there's a disconnect between buyers and sellers. I don't think that you can point to any one specific sub market right. or asset class to really um, say, okay, it's one. I think everything you know kind of rises and you know go, comes down with the tide, so to speak. Right. So you'll see it across uh, every asset class. Um, I, I, I don't think I could, you know, really pinpoint those. Specific so it's more of like a sense that you get based on the conversations and patterns that you're picking up. Right. It's 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 sense from your your clients. You financing. Right. I mean, financing really. I guess if you want to say one one detail, right, is is where the banks are. You yeah. know, where, where's where, where's the money? Is the money easily, um, you know, attainable? Right. Uh, people always leverage, no matter how much equity they're sitting on. Everybody leverages for the most part. Um, and if you can't really get the right financing from uh, from lenders, it's gonna affect, it's right. gonna affect business. So that's that's probably your one biggest indicator of where things are. Which is today's day and age. That's what we're seeing. We're seeing right. a lot of uncertainty about where the rates are gonna be, where they are, and how much um, you know how much proceeds you're going to get on deals. That's right. affecting values tremendously. And what's your perspective on how that's gonna progress over the next year for 2023 and 2024? Um, I, I think it's going to get worse. Mm. I think banks are going to stay tight. I think rates are going to keep climbing to mm. a certain degree. Um, you know, question is how long. I think definitely for sure in the next 12 to 18 months, it's very hard to envision right. values coming up. Um, I think if uh, if people want to be realistic with themselves and they have to refinance um, and they don't have the equity to come out of pocket potentially, um, you know, it's, it's it's a rough ride for them. Um, you know, but again, the expectations seem to be that rates will eventually come down yeah. somewhat. Again, it's it's every cycle is different, and you know we've been through a few cycles already. We've seen a lot of different things, and every time it's something different, it's another surprise. I mean, the right. world is just unpredictable to begin with, um, and it's really hard to kind of make a very you know clear call on yeah. things. Um, but you have to weigh all the risks, and you have to figure out you know what's my best best decision at the moment. Mm -hmm. And not worry about it. You know, sometimes it's gonna work out for the best, and you'll be, you know, <laughs> you look like a genius. Right. And sometimes you'll say, okay, maybe I pulled too early or I waited too long. Definitely. And do you think it's important to be malleable as a broker, where you kind of are not stuck in your ways and you're able to adapt based on every situation in the market? Um, look, I mean, certain skills you just have to have and just keep, you know, be comfortable with and 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 work on. Right. Um, but as far as Adapting. I mean, yeah, you're always adapting to the, how the market changes. You have to. That's how you know you have to stay on top of what's happening. Right. Why people are thinking what they're thinking. Why lenders are thinking what they're thinking. You know, whether you're a seller or a buyer, you have to understand what their uh, objective is. Um, and that's just kind of staying. You know, staying knowledgeable. Right. Staying. You know, talking. That comes with talking to people as well. Again, you know, if you're on the phone with people, there's information that comes to you uh, that makes you more knowledgeable, makes you smarter, and, and information is key. You know, when you're talking to the next guy, you, you know, you, you're going to have certain things that you just heard from somebody else right. that maybe this guy didn't think of. And now, you know, you can relay certain information to them as well that ultimately gains your respect. Definitely. 100%. And what have you learned about yourself since you've closed your first deal? <laughs> I mean, I remember my first deal. I, 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 uh, 
I think I was so excited and it wasn't about any, uh, one thing I learned, it wasn't about the money. Right. I didn't even get the money yet, but I was just like, I was, I was hungry for the next transaction. I, was, yeah. I, I remember coming back to the office after the closing pretty late in the day, maybe like four or 5 PM and right. wanting to be in the office until like, you know, midnight, just, you know, wow. to okay. get that next deal yeah, yeah. under my belt. Um, again, I, I always enjoyed that chase. I always enjoyed that hunt. Right. And I, I I've never, you know, thank God I've been successful, but I've never enjoyed actually getting paid as much as I have just getting a deal right. done. Just that feeling is just special. 100%. Would you say it's, it's it's addicting to the point where even though it's a difficult process, you still go back to it and you want to do it again? 100%. It's very, it's very, very addicting. And, you know, even after all these years, the pain of losing deals sometimes is so much right. greater, it's depending on the deal and how much you've put into it and how rough it got. Right. And when you lost it, than the pleasure of winning, you know, some deals that are just easy and they're godsend, you know, thank God we've been very blessed to have to have those right. as well. But that pain just is still strong. So, you know, the key is to stay busy and not focus and not dwell. That's, right. by the way, another thing I think for young brokers as, as far as don't dwell on things that you can't control anymore. Yeah. Move on and stay as busy as you can because yeah. when you do, you know, you're just moving on to the next step. You're not, you know, beating yourself up to a point where you just can't get up in the morning and go yeah, to work. You definitely, know? <laughs> 100%. And, um... What has been the most difficult point in your career and how did that shape you as an individual from that point on? Um, I mean, you, you know, there was a period where I think I was in that stage where I wasn't sure, am I in the right place? Mm. Do I even want to stay in the business? Because I didn't feel like I'm in the right place, mm. you know, with my career. And there was a lot of uncertainty, you know, market was maybe rough and, you know, you just don't know what the future holds. Mm. You know, you don't seem to be able to make any progress where you are and, you know, you, you just kind of like not sure, you know, what should I be doing? Should right. I change careers? Should I get out of the business completely? Should I talk to people about other businesses? I mean, there was definitely a moment where I was just not sure. And right. this is after many years and still having success and still closing deals and still, you know, doing things where you just, you kind of lost that steam, you right. know, you lost the steam. And that's when, you know, I realized that I, it's definitely time for a change. And um, again, with, with time, luckily, I've been blessed that, you know, I found the right partnership where we were able to transition to something that, you know, you felt like your, you know, you, your career just took off to another level. Now you're excited again. You right. Know? So uh, you have to just persevere. I think that the, 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 the only thing you learn from that is, listen, this is what you do. You, you enjoy what you're doing. You know, there's going to be ups and downs. I mean, right. that's life. This is a roller coaster. Right. You know, try to stay balanced, try to stay even keeled in the moments when they're up. You know, and you know, as the, was somebody I was just saw a little snippet on, a, you know, like YouTube or something where this too shall pass. You know, the bad times right. will pass. But guess what? Those awesome times when you're just crushing it are also going to oh, pass because yeah. you're going to be back down on that roller coaster. Right. Um, and just know that it's OK. It's part of the ride. You know, as you can stay balanced and kind of stay, uh, you know, uh, uh, knowing that, hey, it's part of the game. Right. Things are going to turn back around and you're going to be fine in the long haul. It always is, man. Right. It always is. Just have to believe it. Hundred percent. So, do you think that you, the mindset that you adopt is you can't necessarily control the ups and downs of the roller coaster, but you can be learn uh, learn to be more comfortable riding the roller coaster and enjoying it. Right. You can't control the ups and downs. You can you can you can control yourself yourself to a point where you, you know give yourself the best chance of succeeding right. when those ups and downs come because right. they will. Um, right. So. If you approach it the right way uh, from every aspect, you know, mentally, you know, your personal life, you know, professional life, everything else, physically as well, right. by the way, 
I think that you just give yourself the best chance of, you know, riding out that those rough times, those bumps with right. minimum, minimal damage. Right. And these bad times are always going to happen, even if uh, like someone like yourself uh, that's been in the career for over 20 years. Would you say that this perspective, this um, feeling that young people have is that there's going to be a point where it's just not, never going to have a bad time ever again. It's just going to be smooth sailing from there. And have you ever seen uh, smooth sailing for yourself? I mean, I think people just in general seem to have lack of patience these days. Right. I mean, it happens, I think, to all of us, yeah. right? Especially with, I think, technology and what's going on yeah. in the world today, I think, where we just want instant gratification of everything we do. Right. So we kind of lose track when we think that, you know, oh, it hasn't happened yet. Yeah. It's not going to happen, you know, from relationships to uh, business. It's the same story, I think, where people just throw in the towel, not right. to be them out. So if you take that approach, you're constantly going to be, I think, struggling and, and, and yeah, disappointed and always, you know, falling, you know, falling and having to come back up. Um, I think if you have that patience and know that those those downs are going to be there for, for the rest of the life, but right. it's not the end of the world. Yeah. It's part of the ride. It's not, you know, it's not something you can't overcome. You overcome it before. You're going to overcome it again. Right. Um, and I think if you keep that mentality and empower yourself and stay confident, and build on that confidence to learn, to keep learning, to keep working, right. and just kind of you know putting it behind you. You know it's gonna happen for you. Hundred percent. And what are some of your uh, daily habits where you voluntarily put yourself out of your comfort zone and, and grow as a man as, and as a professional? Um, so I, I think as I got older, I think my body just forced me. You know, ultimately to just know that you can't just always have fun. You can't right. just do things just because they're fun. You know. So for me personally, it became a situation where I had to invest in actually like real exercise, right. not just playing sports because they're fun yeah. and because it's competitive. I think as I'm just a competitive person by nature. I think that's what maybe makes me, you know, what I am in the business. Right. Um, so I think ultimately for me, it's 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 knowing that I, you know, I got to be up at five fifteen in the morning, you know, because now um, I've already achieved something that yeah. just gets my day started. Where I'm 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 already like on a positive note, you know. I mean, there's never been a time where I. Uh, woke up early in the morning and, and went to exercise or, or, or whatever it is that I had to do that day where I felt bad about, you know, right. waking up that early. Yeah. But there's been plenty of time when I planned to do it and I didn't get up and I didn't get it done. And then you felt where bad I didn't that. feel the same way, right. you know, where I felt like, you know, I regret not making it happen. So um, I think that as a, as, as a man, as a husband, as a, as a father, you know, we're always challenged. Right. There's always going to be things that you think you'd rather do and you have to just keep in mind bigger picture and it's not about that instant gratification or just about yourself right it's about just building that solid foundation where you know you can you can you you, you can balance yourself in a way where uh you know you're getting things done and not just okay this is just what feels right for this moment and you're not thinking what what the future is going to bring or how this is going to impact you yeah. in the future 100 percent. so if you start off the day already winning a battle you're gonna progress through the day kind of more confident and more ready to take on the world every single time i mean every single time when you do that you, you your day is just you're looking forward to it and no matter what challenges come at you because again as we just said challenges are going to come right i think you're able to punt them off much easier because yeah. you've already you know feel like you already crushed it this day like yeah. i'm just you know i'm on a roll you yeah. know um it just gives you a little bit of that you know extra kick that that day you know so if you do that on a regular basis I think it just becomes easier as, as you know, as you ask, you know, are there ever going to be thing, days or, or, or periods smooth where you're just always smooth sailing? 
look, if you approach it the right way, it's just easier to not make it feel like it's really right. such a big down. Yeah. And to manage those, uh, right, those negatives. 100%, definitely. And um, so I want to ask about New York City. What, what neighborhood in uh, New York City do you think has the most potential right now for investors? Um, I mean, some, you know, New York City is hot. I mean, you can't really go wrong, I think, no matter where you are. Right. I think what we're seeing is that, you know, Gowana seems to have a lot of changes okay. happening. There's been some rezoning there. Right. And a lot of big boys are coming in and building things there. Um, you know, so I think as a Brooklyn boy, for me personally, I definitely see potential there. Um, you look in the rent-stabilized game, things don't change much. So I think if you're buying apartment buildings, you know, as long as you're within close, um, you know, means of transportation right. to get to work. Yeah. Um, I think no matter where you are, you're pretty much going to be fine. Um, you know, I think some parts of Inwood as well, mm. where there's also rezoning happening and new construction happening, and certain parts of the Bronx. Again, the Bronx mm. is really, you know, it's 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 not it's not a far ride on the train. South Bronx, uh, you know, from the city as well, mm. where we're seeing a lot a lot of money has come in, keeps coming in, right. and people keep wanting to build there. Uh, so those are Definitely. probably the top few areas. And so when you identify an area that you think has potential, how do you position yourself to benefit from that uh, potential uh, presenting itself in the future? Um, so I think that that's when you really kind of have to go out there, mm. drive around. You know, this, this, it's very important for people to, um, for brokers to go right. out and really see the blocks, walk the blocks, drive the blocks. You know, understand the neighborhoods, not just go off of Google Maps right. and thinking that, oh, I got my street view, I'm it's good. Not enough, yeah. It's not the same thing. You know, yeah. when, you, when you're when you there, you feel it so much differently when you're walking those streets or you go into show property. You know, I'm a big believer of going to these, you know, showings personally because right. you're always seeing something. And besides the FaceTime with the clients, um, you just you get to know the neighborhoods much, much yeah. better. So I think I think if you invest the time, um, you know, ultimately it's going to pay off for you because you, you have that knowledge. Got it. Understood. And what uh, real estate asset classes or property types do you see potential for in the coming decade? Um, I mean, right now it's clearly you know, manufacturing warehouse, warehouse rental mm. space, I should okay. say. Warehousing space has been very hot. Uh, okay. We've okay. seen a lot of growth in rents in that market, um, and that's in the asset class. Uh, things have slowed. They have cooled. I think maybe that comes with a little bit of what's going on in the economy today. Uh, but ultimately, I think as the world changes to more, you know, people ordering versus going inside the stores. I think that asset class has to stay strong. Right. Yeah, of course. Um, I can't see it going away so easily because you need you need that warehouse space for right. the product that people are ordering constantly. Um, but again, residential people need a place to live. Right, I mean, you can't go wrong with the residential as long as you're buying at the right price, uh, the right yeah. price, right metrics. I mean, if you have the right uh, team, right. I think that's also very, very important. Invest in that team to make sure you have the right management. Mm -hmm. It's very hard to manage in New York City, and that's right. why some guys have left. Um, you know, ultimately, you, I think those two asset classes are going to continue to be very, very strong Perfect. going forward. Okay. Amazing. And what's your perspective on a commercial office, like Class B office, and how do you think that's going to shift? Because I've seen a lot of shift uh, into like residential or hotel types mm -hmm. of assets. So how do you think that's going to progress? Um, I think that it's 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 the game has changed. Uh, people are today a lot more comfortable working from home, as mm -hmm. we see, as we yeah. know. Um, I think ultimately that's going to continue driving demand down, right. um, and it's going to be interesting what the city allows and doesn't allow people yeah. to do. You know, there's a lot of uh, talk about perhaps allowing some of these conversions into residential, right. and yet there's some pull, you know, some pushback on that as well. Uh, I think ultimately there's there's definitely going to continue to be a glut right. of res uh, of commercial. And um, look, I mean, frankly, if you're living in the city, 
um, you want to also have the right apartments. If you, I'm saying if you're working from home and you're right. living in a city and you're paying a lot of money for your apartment, it's a tiny apartment. You know, that may also impact, uh, you know, impact values of residential yeah. in those kind of neighborhoods as well, those very dense areas. Um, so it's a very, I think it's a, it's a potentially a tough time coming up uh, for a lot of the office, especially class B, where, you know, there's, there's such, so much better product right. and they don't necessarily need to be there. And if they are, they want to, they want to be in the place they are. Uh, for us, that was a big, you know, we moved offices after two years starting the company. Right. We were lucky in a way that, you know, with COVID prices dropped and we were able to more than double our space for like a 20% more. Yeah, uh, we just lucky the way our lease was structured. But we wanted an office where people want to come to. We wanted an office where guys feel good. There's light, there's air, right. and it's 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 a cool looking office. Because um, otherwise, again, it's already I think a mentality of people not coming in into the office. Is, is I hear from a lot of my friends who are in the corporate world who right. are like, you know, can you believe it? They're making me come in more than twice a week. You know? Yeah, definitely. People don't want to do it. And what's your perspective on um, government regulation and how in 2019 they kind of went in and enacted these laws and that changed the landscape of multifamily? Um, look, I think there was a, a lot of unfortunate situations that happened on both sides of right. this argument. I think there was there were definitely people who maybe took advantage of the system to yeah. a certain degree that get, gave people a little bit of a bad yeah. rap. Um, but I, I do believe, again, you know, we know a lot of the bigger owners for the most part. You know, people pretty much play a fair game, mm. and um, they want to deliver good quality housing to people. They just want to make sure that it's worth their investment. Right. Um, you know, so if you look at the fact that a lot of the, a lot of the owners are just making sure, look, uh, we want to do the right renovations. We want to provide good, clean yeah. housing. Um, if they're not incentivized to do it, yeah. why, why would they invest exactly. their money here? It's difficult as is already with all the regulation from paperwork and everything else that, that they're doing. If they, if you can't, you know, ultimately raise rents to a certain, you know, uh, uh, bare minimums right. that cover your expenses and give you a little bit of a return you're going to go out of town and yeah. people have a lot of our clients have left new york city and have been investing strictly outside of mm. new york um and that's a big that's a big knock for new york because we want to be the center of the world quote unquote right where people want to come and live here and if housing becomes too expensive because there's not enough being built because right. incentives are not there or the renovations are not happening properly um it's going to ultimately hurt everybody right and how would you go about navigating this government intervention and politics as it affects the real estate and how do you manage it if it's outside of your control? Um, so look, as brokers, there's not much we can do personally, right. but I know that a lot of the owners have put together groups now right. where they want to have a dialogue with, I think, the politicians yep. so that everybody can understand each other. Um, you know, it's unfortunate, as I said, when you have certain owners who have taken advantage of the system that's yeah. been put in place and just care about their bottom line. Yeah. I don't think that's the you know majority of the ownership. Um, it's also unfortunate when uh, politicians only want to get votes and they don't really care what's best for the city at the end of the right. day. Yeah. And ultimately, you know, if you look at those two extremes, I think everybody gets hurt. So I think that the ownerships, uh, the ownership groups that have come and put themselves together to make sure that the right message is being sent across, the right info is being shared with people. Right. People can, everybody can understand, you know, what's really, what's best for everybody involved. Sides, I mean, yeah. you look at uh, New York City housing, for example, that the city runs. I mean, that's a disaster, yeah. right? And that's supposed to help people. Yeah. Look at the violation counts and the conditions that are there. And look, at ultimately, people also have to take care of the places yeah. they live in. You can't just always fault uh, the ownership when you're the one that's really, you know, causing a lot of the issues, unfortunately. Definitely, yeah, definitely. Um, and what is your favorite part about real estate? Uh, wow. Of the real I estate mean, business. Yeah, I mean, look, I think for me personally, again, it's that... Um, 
it's kind of that 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 hunt, you know. Like I mean, as a kid, I was always I was always into fishing. For example, I remember waking up at you know three o'clock at night to go fishing and sometimes coming back with nothing, yeah. you know, unless I'd stop by the store on the way home, you yeah. know. <laughs> um, so I think I'm I'm very much you know competitive. So that competition and 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 getting that deal, getting that listing that you know hopefully ultimately sells, is a big drive. You know, right. ultimately that success. It's Money is great, you know, and obviously it's important, you know, you want to have a comfortable life for yourself, for your family. Um, You want to give back to the community. That's also very important. I'm very involved in my community, um, you know, where where I am. And so you kind of, you know, you want to hit all those things. Mm. And this this work, this job allows you to do that because Mm. it gives you the flexibility, gives you the income potential. And, um, you know, when you're succeeding, it just makes you feel accomplished. But ultimately, you know, that's what I think makes you a happier human being. Right. Definitely. You know, gives back. 100%. And wh- what, did, what would you say drives you nowadays? You mentioned that money is not as big of a factor as it may seem. Right. Um, is it money, personal achievement, family, philanthropy? And when would you say you've kind of made it and succeeded? Um, I mean, I think ultimately it's, it's just knowing that you are delivering for your clients. Mm. They're happy with the results. Right. There's nothing, no better feeling when your clients are happy. I mean, it, it, it's never fun to hear that, you know, somebody, you know, did a deal and ultimately it went south right. on them for whatever reason. Um, I think that enables some of the other things you mentioned. You know, philanthropy is very important. Mm-hmm. You know, um, there's a lot of people, unfortunately, that I come across in my life, a lot of different causes. There's many causes. Hold on they never end. They never end. And, you know, to be able to help some of those causes, I mean, you know, from uh, from the poor to the educational right. side of it to... Um, you know, whatever it may be that I, I've personally handled and have seen with my own eyes, right. it makes you feel good that, you know, look, I'm, I'm, I've been blessed that I have certain success and I'm able to actually impact somebody else's life right. that ultimately can get on their feet and ultimately maybe give back as well, right. you know, for the next, uh, you know, people in their circle in the next generation or whatever it may be. I don't think in this business you can ever say, okay, I've succeeded, I'm done. Right. I don't think anybody should ever. I think people should never stop working. I think yeah. you should never retire, maybe work a little less. Yeah. But I think ultimately you have to keep, you know, challenge yourself. Mm. And, uh, you know, whether the challenge is professionally right. or whether the challenge for you now becomes more philanthropic or whatever it may be, um, there's always work. And right. as long as you can keep, you know, having to put things on the list that you can accomplish and check them off, you got to keep a new list then at that point, you know, yeah. keep going. For sure. hundred percent. And I have my final question to wrap it up. Yeah, sure. Um, what advice would you give your 22 year old self about um, life, business and relationships? Um, I think first and foremost, it's probably don't be afraid to fail. Mm. You know, um, at the end of the day, nobody's perfect yeah. and everybody makes mistakes. Yeah. People, are, everybody had to start somewhere. Um, have confidence, you know, have confidence and have belief that you can be successful and take, be, don't be afraid to take certain risks right. also, you yeah. know, calculated smart risks. There's, there's no better feeling than, you know, not trying, right? If you try and you failed, you'll figure out a right. new angle. Especially when you're young. Especially when you're young and you have the ability. Right. If you don't have a family to support yet at that point mm-hmm. or, you know, you don't have certain obligations, that's the time you want to really invest in yourself. Right. But with confidence, you know, you have to want to do what you're doing, whatever that field may be. Um, but just stay, you have to stay positive and, 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 and just keep pushing yourself, knowing that it's going to happen for you. If that's your true passion, right. 
And that's something you really want to do, and not just because you want to make money. Yeah. Um, because you have to get up in every morning and like what you do. If you don't, yeah. if you're just you know waiting for the paycheck, I don't know if that's going to be enough to really drive anybody to do anything right. in life that's of going course. to lead to uh, success. So be driven by a cause beyond money. Correct. Be driven by the cause, like with the job, like the work, um, and be confident in mm -hmm. what you're doing. Know that it's going to take time. Be right. patient. Know it's going to take time, and don't be afraid you know, to fail in the beginning. Mm -hmm. 100%. Eric, this has been super valuable, and I'm sure that there's a lot of value that uh, young professionals can get from this and apply it to their careers moving forward. Of Thanks course. again for doing Absolutely. this. Really appreciate Thank it. Thank you for having me. That was great. <laughs> All right, man. Thank you.